Let me read those words again. All hail King Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. All hail Emmanuel, God with us. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. Throughout eternity, I'll sing his praises. I'll reign with him. Throughout eternity. One of the statements the scripture makes is that Jesus Christ has made us Male, female, tiniest child. When we come to faith in Christ, he has made us kings and priests before him. Complete welcome that's implied by the we're priests. We have a walk, we can walk into the presence of God. Not because we're so great. But because Jesus is so great and he made it possible for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But he's also made us kings. And yes, the scripture does emphasize, in the, you know, in eternity, we're not going to be sitting around. Push out of your mind this picture of sitting on a white cloud with a harp going, oh man, this is getting boring. No, that's nowhere in the scripture. We will be reigning with him. We will have jobs to do throughout eternity. And it'll be, thank you, God. He's supplying all the energy and wisdom we need to do the jobs. But it's going to be an ongoing time of blessing. Never any boredom. I can promise you. All right. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that, was, that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, is it, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, who, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Yikes. <laughs> Pretty powerful stuff. Let me go back and remind you of the context and what is the flow of the narrative coming up to this. <clears throat> I, I, it's really kind of interesting when you look, compare Matthew and Mark. <clears throat> they both have this episode. In Mark's Gospel, the disciples are off here talking. Now Jesus knows what they're talking about because he's God. But he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? <clears throat> oh, uh, mm, uh, uh, we've been talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, it's interesting, both in the Mark and Matthew narrative, it's kind of, you know, if who is the guy? I mean, if you read the narrative, who is the guy? I mean, this guy, Peter, he's the one when Jesus says, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's all, in, it's all, they all have this episode. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're this prophet or that prophet. Uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, only in Matthew's Gospel do we have the additional statement, you are, you, good one! You, Peter, you are Petras. Greek word, fist-sized stone. The masculine form of the word. And on this Petra, feminine form of the word, which is a rock of Gibraltar-sized stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it i did not know this until about a year or two ago do you know there's only one gospel where you find the word church you you find it only in matthew you find it three times in matthew you find it in matthew 16 with that statement on this rock i will build my church and you find it here in matthew 18 where you find jesus using the word church two more times but also unique to Matthew's Gospel. So I mean, this is a preview of coming attractions. <clears throat> when we get to Matthew 24, which is the prophet, is the Olivet Discourse. It's the, it is the Gospel that contains the material that is unique to what the church will need to know. Only in Matthew's Gospel do you find the word church. Only in Matthew's Gospel do you find any recognition that there's going to be a change of plan but these guys hey well uh, Jesus we've been talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom because after all the same Peter that said you're the Christ the son of the living God and he got all these accolades is the guy that you turned right around and rebuked <laughs> and then you rebuked again and then you <laughs> so we think hey maybe there's an opening here Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And what does Jesus do? <clears throat> he brings a child. The one who is the most childlike is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The most childlike in the terms of needs. You want to be used by God? This is so strange compared to the approach of the world. You want to be used by God? 
recognize that left to yourself, you are of absolutely no use to God. <laughs> if it's about your talents, your abilities, your brain's function and all that, if that's what you're bringing to the table, you are, of, you are useless. You are worthy. You can't. But if you come as a child, man, I know I don't have the mental agility. I know I don't have the credentials. I'm just a child. I've never done anything. I don't have the credentials left to myself. I don't have anything to bring to the table of usefulness to God except what a the only thing a child has, humility. A child comes to the table and you put the food in front of the child. You give it that bottle to either suck out of or drink out of. They are in to and so the one who recognizes their inability to be used is the one who's most useful because they are utterly dependent upon the provision of God. And if you're walking in the provision of God, are you useful to God? <laughs> That's when you become useful to God in the fullest sense. That's when you become useful to God. And so Jesus says, the one who is like a child, also the one who is willing to serve the child. Well, Lord, I was really counting on being the guy that was reaching out to the wealthy and powerful. No, I want you to be the one willing to reach out to the children. I want you to be willing to reach out to the beggar at the side of the road who can in no way advance your cause in this life. I want you to be a servant of servants. And as I indicated last week, I don't think in our culture we can't get the fullness of the shock that the, ex the disciples experienced at the Last Supper. When Jesus these men had refused to wash one another's feet. They were all staying in different parts of Jerusalem. And they came, they had all bathed. And then they put on their sandals and they walked to the upper room. I don't want to get too gross here, folks, but they didn't have sewers in those ancient cities. People dumped their chamber pots out in the street. And these guys have been walking through the streets. They come to the upper room. This is true for... And that is why you had servants and you washed your feet. And the lowest of the lowest servants, it was his job to wash the people's feet at the door. And they left their shoes outside. So these guys have taken their sandals off and left them at the door. But they still have the unwashed feet. And they're reclining on these divans. Their feet are not on the floor. Their feet are up there... And they have all refused to wash one another's feet. And here, the one whom they know is God the Son lays aside his fancy robe, wraps himself in a towel, and goes around and starts washing feet. And they are shocked. They're humiliated because they put Jesus in that position. But they are more than anything, they are embarrassed for Jesus. Jesus, stop it! 
You are humiliating yourself in a way that is not a bride. We know who you are, and you should not be doing this. And Jesus gets everybody's silent until Jesus gets to Peter, and that's what Peter, you are not going to wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. I am your servant, Peter. In a few hours, I'm going to be on a cross serving you. And he doesn't say those words, but he has told them repeatedly, I'm going to be rejected and tried. And He's already told them. Well, then not to my feet only, Jesus, but my head and my hands as well. No, stop it, Peter. <laughs> I'm washing your feet. If we, What is the role we are to play? We are to be foot washers. We are to be foot washers. One of the men that is so prominent in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this is my personal opinion, so please just write it. Personal opinion. This guy was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a star student. He was a student of Gamaliel, the most famous rabbi of that age. He was a student of Gamaliel. He was the guy holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen to death, and he was cheering that on. And he is the tip of the spear in the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. He even goes, I'm going to take this. I get this letter. I'm going to Damascus. And we're going to persecute the Christians who are there in Damascus, in, up in Syria. And just before he gets to the gates of Damascus, Jesus face plants him in the dirt. And says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That pointed stick. I think his conscience has been beating him to death. And Jesus blinds him, and they bring him into this house there in Damascus that Jesus assigns to him. And then it's three days later that he's, gives his, he's given his sight back. It's about 14 years later. He's, he ends up going home to Tarsus in what is modern-day southern, southern part of Turkey. And he's there for years before Barnabas comes to him and says, I need you over here in Antioch. And that begins Paul's big public ministry. Why? I think it honestly took Jesus that long <laughs> to drain the Paul out of Paul. Or I should say the Saul out of Saul and turn him into the Paul. The servant to the a man who was a Pharisee, a servant to the Gentiles? The Gentiles? Ah! The Gentiles were despised. We had an experience with that. When years and years ago, we were, we were managing apartments in Dallas. And uh, we had this couple from Egypt. Fami and Afaf. Fami was the man, and Afaf was the, his young wife. And I'm, they're from Egypt. I just assumed they were Muslims. And so just one day, I'm talking to, to Fami, and I just said something that implied that. And he stopped me right now. He said, no, I am an Egyptian, an actual Egyptian. I'm not a Muslim. Now, see, okay, fine. 
But that is standard stuff in the Middle East. Of one ethnic group, I'm an actual Egyptian, I'm not one of those Arabs that came in here. Oh man, Paul had to be drained of his Jewishness so he could become the servant of the Gentiles. A servant of those who I formerly thought were worthless, I'm now willing to give my life in service to them. Service to my Lord and service to them. And then we have this statement that we're coming to, the parable of the lost sheep. What is the value of the sheep? What does the shepherd do? Now, as Jesus has been talking about the children, now he takes that concept and he puts it on sheep. A shepherd that owns 100 sheep, he gets back, he puts them into the fold and counts them, and he's got 99. One of them is strayed. And so what does he do? Does he say, oh, well, it's just one of a hundred. I can survive that. No, you don't do that. You go out and find that lost sheep. And when you find that lost sheep, you rejoice. You rejoice. When you find that lost sheep, you rejoice even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Don't you dare. What's he saying? Don't you dare shrug off the eternal experience of anybody. Every single human being is going to stand before the holy God they are going to live for eternity. And it may be that God will use you. You will be the instrument that will turn someone from a path to hell to the, a welcome presence, being welcomed in the presence of God by the simple explanation of the gospel. And it may be not be the hearer that you would choose. It may not be the sheep whom you would choose. It may not be the child that you would choose. But it's the God, child that God has chosen for you, for you, to serve. One of the things I want to highlight is when Jesus washed the feet of those apostles, Judas Iscariot was still there. He washed the feet even of Judas Iscariot whom he knew was his betrayer. And yet Jesus washed his feet because it was his father's job to be his defender. It wasn't his job. It was his father's job to deal with Judas, not his job. And he washed the feet of this man who was already said, initiated the process of his betrayal. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, if someone within the community of faith, now he's talking to his disciples, and they, in a sense, are brothers of one another. In a spiritual sense, they have, they have declared their devotion to Jesus, they're followers of Jesus, and they are therefore brothers. And, you know, I'm, I'm, Mark's not perfect. 
You know, sometimes, Mark, well, let me tell you something. On the drive-in today, I asked my wife to forgive me for being a jerk. She thankfully forgave me for being a jerk. And I was a jerk with my mouth. And sometimes brothers can be jerks with their mouths or with their actions or with their attitudes or with the look on their face toward another person. But we're brothers of one another. If your brother sins against you, if your brother by his words or by his actions does something offensive or harmful to you, go and tell him his fault. Just between the two of you. What's the process here? This is, by the way, this is the template for what we call church discipline. This is the template. This is a basic pattern. So what do you do if a brother or a sister offends you? You go to them, just between the two of you. You don't spread the word. You go to them privately and say, you know, you may have absolutely not intended this at all, if that's the case. But this really affected me this way. And give them an opportunity to set things right. And you know what? When this is put into practice, normally, I'm going to say by far the greatest percentage in authentic Christian congregations, that is where the issue is settled. Now, we don't know about that because it's just between the two of them. But if we do what Jesus says and people are authentically indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they're authentic believers, they, I think we can assume that the offense is dealt with at that point and that's the end of the story. And then they don't blab about it. They are not supposed to. It's just between the two of them and it's addressed. And tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You've, you've been reconciled. And that's what this is all about, is reconciliation. The purpose of church discipline, by the way, isn't to impose church discipline. The purpose of church discipline is to create reconciliation. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. And so you get another brother or two, and you take them, and you've explained the situation, and then you go to that person, and you again appeal to them for reconciliation. And by the way, those one or two brothers are also his one or two brothers. And so if you're actually the one who's maybe a little bit more tender than you need to be or whatever, they can also address the issue with you. So, but it creates a larger venue now of one more person or two more persons where the issue can be addressed. And again, that often is where the issue will be addressed. End of story. And if he refuses to hear them, verse 17, tell it to the church. Well, again, here is this word Jesus used back in chapter 16. Well, this ecclesia is part of their vocabulary, but it's not part of their normal, regular vocabulary in talking about the community of believers. Their normal, regular vocabulary word is synagogue, that gathering together of people. But here Jesus is using the word church. Now, and again, it's probably striking the ear. Well, that's 
strange. We, get, we know what he's saying, but it's kind of what I'm saying here is we're going to see when we get to Matthew 24, Jesus is setting us up for these guys are going to be stepping into a role as the foundation of a new spiritual body. This is Ephesians 2 and 3 called the church built on the foundation, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, of the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's going to be distinct from Israel. So he uses this word, and it's, okay, we know what he's saying here, but it's kind of, why did he use that word? Hmm, moving right along. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Oh, you don't say, oh, well, you're obviously not really a Christian. No, he may be an unrepentant, wicked fellow. <laughs> you know what? You don't know about me. And I don't know about you. Now, I'm confident of the authentic faith the people here and I hope you're confident of my reality of my relationship with Christ one of the most shocking revelations in the scripture is that when Jesus said to the apostles at the upper room one of you will betray me these men who had been together for at least three years ministering together for at least three years nobody said well it's got to be that guy judas nobody did in fact when john leans back and says well who is it lord it's the one to whom i will give the sop and he dips this bread in the meat sauce and hands it to Judas, and Judas swallows it down and as he swallowed it down it says in john the gospel of john the holy spirit or excuse me, the devil entered him. <laughs> and Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. And, John get, and Judas gets up and walks. Why didn't John the apostle jump up and tackle him? I think quite simply because John is like, no, that can't be real. No, not. Judas is the money guy who holds the money bag. He's the most trusted guy. I must have misunderstood. We don't know ultimately 100% about anybody. But we are never, and we, so we are to accept their verbal declaration of their having trusted Christ. You do not say you are an unbeliever or a heathen or a tax, by the way, tax collector is just the, tax collectors are the most hated person in that society. Everybody regard, in every culture, not just the Jewish culture, everybody regarded tax collectors as traitors. They were the lowest of the, by the way, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, was what? A tax collector. <laughs> Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, let me tell you, give you an illustration of this. Uh, I have some background, and some people here have some background working with horses, or any, really, any sheep, goats, cattle, horse, any herd animal. You want to frighten them, you isolate them. You take a, a horse out of the herd, and you isolate it, 
they are frightened because security is in the herd. Security is in the flock. And you isolate them. You're not saying to that sheep, you're not that guy who went after the 100th sheep. That sheep was out on the mountain scared to death. <laughs> and he brought it home rejoicing. But if you go out to the sheep and you're, okay, let's go rejoin the flock, uh, and the sheep refuses to do it, okay, the sheep has put itself in isolation. You don't say, well, you're not a sheep. What? You leave them in the place of isolation. That is the place of being in jeopardy. That is the moment. When you've got a herd animal, the most frightening thing to them is to be by themselves. Uh, this gal, Julie Ottaway, was telling me the other day she would really like to have a horse. And I said, Julie, you can't just have one horse. You've got to have at least two. Because they are herd animals. They do not do well one just by themselves you've got to have a pasture companion and so it is when you put someone because they are unrepentant in an authentic offense if you put them out that is frightened that should be frightening because they are now out from under the protective umbrella of the shepherd they put themselves in jeopardy and they need to know that and that God will deal with them. So basically what is happening is the, the leadership of the church and the congregation as a whole is saying, we're backing away from you. Not because we hate you, but because we love you and we want you to repent so we can welcome you back into the, into the flock or the herd. And that's the whole point of church discipline is restoration. Not isolation, it's just the isolation is to prompt restoration. Again, I say to you that if two of you, this is amazing. Let me, verse 18, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You're not just doing this independently. No, heaven's authority rests with you. Folks, that ought to frighten us. It ought to frighten us that if we're going to be walking in heaven's authority, we better be walking it in a godly way. We better be walking. You know, if somebody handed you, uh, here, here is a uh, uh, radioactive isotope. <laughs> I better have the right gloves on. I better have the right gloves on if I'm going to safely handle that radioactive isotope and total body cover I would say too well that's how it is with us we walk with heaven's authority not just in this kind of issue but all issues we had better be authentic qualified handlers of heavenly authority Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Yikes. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I just love those testimonies of men and women that we've had in our congregation in years past 
like Rishram Raj Powdell, you know, hey, we know what we're going to do to you, buddy. This guy was the Hindu Brahmin priest. They, the third time they arrested this guy after he came to faith in Christ. Third time, because he won't shut up about the gospel, so they arrested third time. Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to make it so you can't ever walk again. And they put a board against the side of his knee, and they completely smash his right knee. Ha! He said, uh, three months later, I walked out of that prison. And he sat down on the, on the platform of our church, and he turned his lower right leg 90 degrees that way, 90 degrees that way, put it back straight, stood up and walked on it and said, you know, I've actually had more problems with the other leg. Well, you're the guy that broke his leg and three months later he's walking out of prison? And you know his, his leg... Uh, uh, he's walking in heaven's authority. He's walking in heaven's power. If two of you on earth can agree concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That's prayer authority that is so outrageous. We're scared of that promise. How many of us actually walk in that, the authority of that promise? I ask, God's going to do it. Do it. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am with you. The very last passage of this gospel will be Jesus assigning the apostles their job, going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And I will be with you every step of the way. I will be with you. Be servants of one another. Be servants of the lowest of the low. Knowing that God esteems them as much as the fellow who lives in the or the woman who lives in the palace. Be servants of the lowest of the low and you will be imitators of Jesus and kingdom, power, glory, authority will rest upon you. And be servants not only of those who are on the outside, but servants of one another within the congregation. Serving each other to strengthen your walk with Christ. Any comments or questions? Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our shepherd. We were out on the, in the hills We had, we were by ourselves and you came looking for us and you found us and you brought us home on your shoulders rejoicing. As James says in James chapter 1, it is of your own will that you brought us forth by the word of truth. You sought us out. The, the aggressive one in, in, in the events that brought us into your kingdom was you. And we are so thankful. And may we be imitators of you in the lives of one another in the same way. We ask this of you. It's not native to us. So we have to ask it of you to be that in us.
In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.